Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. And at the same time came His disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto Him, and set Him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who is the greatest? I suppose that that is one question that's really kind of human. People want to ask, who's the greatest? What's the greatest? And pride, I guess, is part of that. We'd like to be good. We want to be great. And so the question is asked in the, with the disciples, which of them or who is going to be the greatest? And they add to that, in the kingdom of heaven. Today, I think that attitude still exists where people want to know who is the greatest. And it's not a question or not a, a point that people should dwell on because the Bible tells us the answer to that, and we're going to look at that in a few moments. But I think that attitude still exists today, even in the church. We look around and we see different congregations of God's people. And we wonder which one's the greatest. You hear one to say, well, this one's more faithful than this one. This one is a bigger group of people. This one is a very friendly group. So we start to look at them and say, which one is the greatest of all the congregations? And that's really not our, what our attitude should be. Our attitude should be more, we want to be what God wants us to be. And some congregations may have a lot of talent. Others may not. But I think that we also see that in, our, in uh, schools that are affiliated with the Lord's church where this, this, this school is better than this school. And sure, there may be some that are teaching some things that should not be taught. But just because someone attended a particular university does not mean that they're better than someone else. And that's what we need to understand because I've known some that have gone to some very good, uh, faithful universities and ended up falling away from the church. And so we need to understand that going to the right school doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing the right thing. Even among preachers, I think preachers have that tendency to look at each other and wonder which one's greater, which one's the best. In fact, when a pulpit is empty and a congregation is looking for a preacher, they come in and what do they do? They try out. And then people meet and then they decide which one was the best, which one was the greatest. And that's the one that they choose. Well, there are, that's an important question, and we're going to look at that, some of the facts dealing with who is the greatest. Because today, some might answer that question in a different way. Those that are most educated, those who can lead, they're the greatest in the church. And it's good to have a good education. And it's good for preachers to have a good education about the Bible. But there are also times that we need to think about are they still doing what's right? I've had people over the years that will say, Brother so-and-so, he's got wrote a commentary and he's wrote books and he knows all kinds of stuff. And I always say, if they're wrong when it comes to the Bible, it doesn't matter how smart they are. They still need to do the right thing and teach the right thing. And so an education isn't what makes someone great in the kingdom of God. Being a good speaker isn't what uh, makes a, a someone great in the kingdom of God. They may have style. They may have charm. They may say the right stuff. They may encourage us. They may have good stories that they can tell. But again, a good speaker is one that's going to speak the truth. 
And it's very important to realize what the message is. It's not so much the delivery, but it is the message. Is it still the truth? And some may be a little rusty in the way that they present the truth, but if it's the truth, it's the truth that will set us free. And so that's what we need to look at. And so a good person or a good speaker doesn't necessarily mean that they're great. And again, uh, someone in a good position, making a lot of money, has prestige, has power, that's not something that's going to make them great in the kingdom of heaven. And again, just being popular. Sometimes people like to you know, have a good group of people and they know that they have a big following. That again, does not make someone a great person in the kingdom of God. Before I talk about what is what makes a great person in the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, I want to mention some things that do not make someone the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that would be one individual, an individual who's always wondering, how good am I? As a Christian, we need to realize that we always should be about doing the best that we can do every day. We're striving. And then as we grow, we get stronger and we can do more. We may develop more talents. But when we're sitting around wondering, how good am I? That's a problem. And especially if the attitude is, oh, I'm so good, uh, that's a problem also. And we don't need that kind of attitude. That's not what's going to make us great. Studying God's Word, putting it in our heart, applying it to our lives, and going out and, and demonstrating that life in the world helps us to grow as Christians and helps the church to become stronger. Another problem sometimes that people would equate with, or a problem with um, not being great, would be talkers and gossipers. Talked a little bit about the tongue last Sunday. I didn't mention a lot about gossip, but sometimes that's a problem in the Lord's church. We're not talking about good things. We're not building people up. We're tearing people down. And we question things and we say this shouldn't be. And it's easy to be a gossiper, it's easy to talk about someone behind their back. And those things do not make us great in the kingdom of God. As Christians, we're supposed to be building each other up. We're supposed to be encouraging one another. And if we see someone struggling, we need to be able to help them. That's the goal that we should have in this life. Another problem is jealousy and envy. You have those things in your life. Guess what? You're not going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because it's easy sometimes to look at someone else and say, well, they've got a great deal of talent. I don't have that. Or look at the things that they possess. I don't have those things. And so I'm jealous and I'm envious because someone may be friendlier than I am. May be happier than I am. Also, the hypocrite, the person that claims to be a Christian, the person that says that they're doing what's right, but yet their life betrays them. I've heard many times children will say, you know, I know what people say, but they're not living it in their lives. And sometimes they're talking about their parents. Sometimes children are looking around at us while we're even here, and they realize there's people here that, can, that will do what they say they're supposed to do, but then there's some that say what they're supposed to do, but they don't do it. And so we need to realize being a hypocrite is a problem. And the last one that I want to talk about not being the greatest is the fault finder. I mentioned this one last Sunday also when it comes to the tongue because it's very easy sometimes to point out the faults. The problem is coming up with a solution. And as a Christian, our goal is to be peacemakers and striving to help make things unified, make us all work together. 
And it's easy to point out how someone else should have done something different, but are you doing it? They should have went and visited that person that was in the hospital. Do you go visit that person that's in the hospital? They should have helped that individual over there. Have you helped that individual over there? It's easy to point out faults. What are you doing to fix it? What are you doing to correct it? And when we're a fault finder, that is not going to make us the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so we're going to ask now, what are the qualities of true greatness? What is it that you and I can do to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And I believe that the answer is given by what Jesus tells us there, except you humble yourselves and become as a child, then we're not going to be what God wants us to be. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Philippians chapter 2. And I hope you'll follow along this morning. Because I think humility is one of the things that we all need in our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, the Apostle Paul writes, "...let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Here we find a picture of what Jesus was while He was here on this earth. He, we, what we need to remember is that He was at, in heaven. He was there with God. And He left that place and He came down here to this earth and He could have, he could have had all the popularity that He wanted. He could have had all the power that He wanted. But guess what? He came in the form of a servant. He came to serve you and me. And even to the point where it cost Him His life, He was willing to die on that cross for you and me. Remember in the garden when He was praying, and He asked if there was some way that this could be taken away and there would be some other way provided. The answer was no, there was no other way. This was God's plan. And from that moment on, you don't hear Jesus ask God to take that or remove Him or do any of that. He willingly went to the cross for you and me. And that's a great example for us. Because I believe it's that kind of humility that helps us with the Beatitudes in putting them in our lives and putting them into action. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 and let's look at verse beginning of verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, it says, And seeing the multitude, he went into the mountains, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. <clears throat> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, So for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Think of all those things that Jesus is talking about there. Being a peacemaker, being merciful, being mournful. All of those things take humility. It takes humility to look at ourselves and say, I'm not perfect. 
I have sinned and I need the blood of Christ. I need God in my life. I need Him to help me. But yet we see in this passage, if we will humble ourselves, then we will be blessed. We'll be happy. We'll be the kind of people that God wants us to be. And He even points out persecution. That takes humility to accept persecution. You think about Jesus when He came to this world and when He was there in the garden, what had He told Peter before? That He had the power to call legions of angels down to fight for Him. That's humility willing to go to the cross when He could have called them down and they would have delivered Him off of that cross. They would have fought for Him. He did not have to die. He had that power to remove Himself out of that situation. But yet, He humbly went to the cross. Why? Because He loves you and He loves me. And He loved all of mankind and He was willing to do His Father's will. That's humility. And that's what it takes for us as Christians to do what God wants us to do. Willingly accept the mission that God has given us in this life. Another quality of greatness or true greatness would be serving others. Again, think about Jesus as our example. He came to this earth. He'd left heaven. He didn't come to be a power person. He came to be a servant to help you and me. And you think about all the things that He did. He helped those that were sick by healing them. He raised the dead. He comforted those that were mourning. We see that He fed the multitude because He had compassion on them. And so you see the attitude that He had. He didn't have to die, but He did. He willingly died. And so to be a great person, He served others. In fact, we see on the night that He was betrayed, when He was there with His disciples and they instituted the Lord's Supper, that He washed their feet. He humbled Himself to that point where He was willing to serve them. You know, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 that we're to bear one another's burdens, that we're to help each other as we struggle in this life, that we are here to encourage and to uplift. Now, going back to that fault finding and murmuring and complaining and gossiping, that doesn't help people. That doesn't build people up. As Christians, we're here to serve people. In fact, Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it talks about being saved by grace through faith, not of works, you know, all, you know what the verse says. But then in verse 10, it talks about that we are created unto good works. That's our purpose in this life, to serve to serve God, to live for God, and to help other people in this life. One of the other things is that we need to have a mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, and verse 5, which we read earlier, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, great example for you and I to follow. Sometimes we look at someone else in the church and we say, Oh, that's a good Christian. Uh, I'm not as good, or I may be better than someone else. When we compare ourselves to Christ, there is always room for improvement. There is always something we can do. There is always an improvement that we can make in our spiritual lives. And the question is, do we want to humble ourselves to ask God for help, to seek it through His Word, and then to apply it in our lives and put it into action? 
Another point is one who loves. That's an important point. One who loves. What does it mean to love? I think that we can see in 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, and if you would, you can flip over there, because we're going to read that entire chapter, and I want us to think about what love does. Because in our society today, people kind of use that word in a way that's uh, you know not, not the best. Because you see people that love New York, and they love their car, and they love this, and they love that. Well, do we love each other? Do we love people? That's what God wants us to do. In 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 1, it says, And though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I have become a sounding brass or a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. I want to stop right there because I want us to think about that. Here he's talking about an individual that could give up everything that they have. They could sell their possessions and give up part of it and give it to the poor. Give the money to the poor. Give the stuff to the poor. Love is so important that if that is not your motive, then you're wasting your time. You're like a clanging cymbal. It does nothing. You see, there's a, we can do good things. People do good things all the time. But what's their motive behind it? Sometimes the motive is, what can I get out of this? What is, how are, is it going to be returned to me? That's not our motive. Our motive should be, I want to serve my Lord and I love Him because He loved me. Verse 4, Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity, charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Paul here is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that love is important. Love is going to last throughout eternity. Someday our faith will be realized, our hope will be realized, but our, our love, our charity, as it mentions there in the King James Version, is something that is going to last forever. Throughout all eternity, we're going to have our love for God. But notice those characteristics there of love. Do we have those things in our lives? Do we practice those things in our lives? If not, we need to work on those things because it's all tied in that, those first uh, few verses there. It tells us those qualities that we need to have in our lives. And so do we really have the love for someone else? Do we really care about souls that are lost? Do we really care about souls that are struggling? Do we really care because we love other people? 
I think another important point to be great in the kingdom of God, we have to be a forgiving person. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. One of the biggest problems that I think that we have sometimes is letting go and forgiving other people. Someone's done something to us. The Bible here is talking to us to be tender-hearted. Don't allow your heart to become so hard, so bitter that you're not going to be a forgiving person. Always be willing to extend that, that, that hand of forgiveness to someone else. Why? Because God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Did you deserve that? Did you deserve to have the forgiveness from God? I'd say none of us did, really. Well, I'm thankful that God loved me enough to offer that, to make that available. And we need to make that forgiveness available to other people. And so if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, not only do you need to be humble, but you need to humbly be humble enough that you're willing to forgive others that sin against you. My last point is this. I think that it's good to be great in the kingdom to view yourself as the chief of sinners. What do you mean by that? I hear people say, well, we shouldn't refer to ourselves as sinners because we're saints. What I mean by that is I think that it's good for us to remember where we were, what we used to be. Not in a way where we want to go back and do those things. Not in a way that I want to go back and live that life. But I think that we remember it because it reminds us of the people that are out there in the world. And it helps to take that into consideration when you're trying to pull someone out of the world. When you're out there in the world yourself, you realize what you needed to hear. What it took to get you out of that situation. And so I think that it's good to remind ourselves that at one point we were in that situation. And I think that that's exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12, he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This was a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I don't believe Paul is saying that, oh, I'm still a, a, a full-fledged sinner, that I'm still out there doing everything that I did in the past. But I think that he's reminded every day in his life of what he had done and the harm that he'd caused the church, the harm that he'd caused Christ, and the harm that it did to himself. And he's reminding himself that this is where I was, but by the grace of God, I am now in the position that I'm in today. And Paul, no doubt, was in a saved condition. And that's where we want to be. Maybe you've seen the billboard out there on 94 that says every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And I think I like that billboard because it does remind us that we do have a past and that we need to be reminded of that so that we can help others get out of that situation and rescue those that are lost. 
So those are some of the things that I look at that I think that are very important to being great in the kingdom of God. And I like the way Jesus answered it. Because when His disciples came and asked that question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus didn't say, well, you need to be like Moses. He didn't say you need to be like Joseph. He didn't say you need to be like Abraham. He didn't even say you needed to be like Peter or Paul or anyone else that was going to come into the future. You know what He said? Except you become as children. What's He saying? There's a lot of qualities about children that we may not appreciate. But there's a lot of good things about children that we do need to appreciate. They come into this world and they're totally dependent upon mom and dad. They have faith in mom and dad until mom and dad may let them down. They love mom and dad. They love their family. They love their friends. They'll help people. They'll serve people. They'll humbly submit to people. They do all the things that we're talking about here that we need to have in our lives. And that's what Jesus said. When He said... Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What kind of attitude do you have in your life? Are you practicing the things that Jesus wants you to practice? Do you have that attitude as a little child? Are you willing to humbly submit your life to Christ and do His will? Jesus came to this earth and died. He lived an example for us. And He tells us what we need to do in order to be saved. In Mark 16, 15 and 16, He told His disciples to go into all the world and preach the Gospel. That Gospel message is the fact that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He arose victorious over the grave. When you hear that message, the question is, do you believe that message, that He died for you, that He is the Son of God? And belief is something that is very important because our faith comes from hearing God's Word. Romans 10 and verse 17. And then the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that after we've heard that Word and we believe that Word, that we have to repent. That means turn away from those sins. Stop doing those things. He tells us in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, we see the fact that we need to confess the name of Christ before men. And then we're buried with our Lord in baptism as He finished, as He said in Mark 6, or 16, 15 and 16, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so we have a choice. You have a choice. And this morning, if you're not what God wants you to be, will you humbly submit your life to Him? Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you're looking at the greatest in some of these other areas as opposed to what the Lord says is great. And if you need to make changes in your life, we would encourage you to do that. You have that opportunity this morning to come and have a seat up here on the front row. We'll help you in any way that we can. As together we stand and sing.